0: are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Friday show for you. We're going to talk about Saquon Barkley making comments about what he could possibly do this season. These comments were made on a podcast before he didn't sign his tender agreement, which means he doesn't have to show up to camp anytime soon. We're going to talk a little bit more about Super Bowl winning teams and the leading rusher for the third day in a row we're going to talk about players signing contracts and holding out because i think this is not a black and white issue, which i know a lot of fans have a problem with, but i don't think it's as black as white, black and white as people think it is, and we'll talk and i'll give you my explanation as to why i don't think that way. ESPN last night or ESPN2 showed a replay of the semifinal game in college football last year between Georgia and Ohio State. We're not going to break down the game because we did at the time on this podcast. However, re-watching it last night, I have a new perspective on things, and we have a first in the professional head coaching ranks as there is a coach in one of the four major sports that has public, publicly come out as gay, and we'll talk about that. We'll get to all that momentarily. So let's start with Saquon Barkley. He was on a podcast called the Money Matters Podcast, but he recorded it before he didn't sign... His, um, uh, what do he say? Uh, he did not agree to a deal before the deadline, which means that he will have to play the upcoming season under the $10.091 million franchise tender. But since he hasn't signed the tender, Saquon, he can't be fined for a missing training camp. He can only be fined for missing games. And has to forfeit game checks. And it's something that he actually acknowledged on the podcast. This is what Saquon said. He said, my leverage is I could say, fuck you to the Giants. I could say, fuck you to my teammates. And be like, you want me to show my worth? You want me to show how valuable I am to the team? I won't show up. I won't play it down. And that's a play I could use. Anybody who knows me knows that's not something I want to do. Is it something that's crossed my mind? I never thought I would ever do that, but now I'm at a point where I'm like, Jesus, I might have to take it to this level. Am I prepared to take it to this level? I don't know. End quote. So this is exactly what I'm talking about. What we've been talking about for the last three days in regards to running backs and they're devalued in the NFL right now. Saquon Barkley is easily one of the top three running backs in the league. If you want to say injury history makes him not top three, okay, but I'll give you top five. He's got to be at least in the top five. When he's healthy, he's one of the top five running backs easily. Can run and can catch passes. So he wants to get paid, as would anybody who's one of the best at their position. Just take it out of sports. If you're one of the best salesmen in your office, and you're in top 5 in sales but you're getting paid like you're the 10th best salesman you'd be like something's off here and that's exactly what all these running backs are doing not just Saquon the problem is they can't dictate anything and him saying that puts his team and him in a game of chicken if the giants if if Saquon just says i'm not going to play until they come to me And offer me the money that I want. And who knows how long that lasts. Maybe the Giants get back to him before the season starts. and like, you know what, damn it. We're coming off a good season. We cannot afford. They won a playoff game last year. We cannot afford to not have this guy there opening weekend against the Dallas Cowboys. Can't do it. So what do they do? Give him an offer and he might come back. Or they say, look, we're not paying him. We're sticking to our guns. We're not going to pay him. We don't think he's going to lose game checks. So there's that. (laughs) And it's just a face-off. Who blinks first? Who's going to come to the table and be like, you know what? We need to get this done. We've heard holdouts all the time. And then normally, right before the season starts, a deal gets done just because a lot of the time most of these guys just don't want to go to training camp because you ask most NFL players, they hate training camp. It's the worst, but this is their way out of it. I'll just hold out and then I'll sign. I I know I want to sign with them. I'm not going to sit out. I'm just going to threaten that I'm going to sit out, but you know, I don't know because the running backs thing is not just, this isn't just a one person thing in the NFL that's doing this. We, we all know the whole deal. Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, And Josh Jacobs, this is a thing that running backs aren't getting paid. So does he have the balls to sit out and start losing game checks? I don't know. But what he said there, because that's the other thing. You're a competitor, but you're also a teammate. And maybe there are some teammates that are like, I get it. I get why he's doing this. He wants to get his bag. Very possible. But I know there's also some teammates that are like, get your ass in here. We need you. So it is a very, very tough position, and a guy who's that competitive, and a guy who's that's still that early in his career. Does he really want to sit out possibly a whole season? I don't know. I hope not. I, I hope it gets done, but knowing that the owners don't want to pay ten to fifteen million for a running back, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm literally throwing my hands up at this whole running back situation because I see it from both sides. Running backs' biggest value is in their first five or six years. And if you don't renegotiate that contract like Zeke did, and you don't get that money during those first five or six years, you're not getting it. Because everybody knows, the numbers bear it out. 95% of running backs after year six literally fall off a cliff, statistics-wise, outside of a few over the years. So I don't know. I don't know what happens. The other thing I wanted to talk about kind of pertains to this is the fact of and this pertains to the Dallas Cowboys in particular because it just came up a couple of days ago when offensive lineman Doug Martin decided I'm not going to report to training camp because I'm not happy with my contract. He's one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL, if not the best, arguably. Numerous Pro Bowls, numerous first teamer uh, offensive line. And right now I think he's the 7th he's the 7th highest paid guard in the league. Yeah, Zach Martin is like number 7 in the league for his position. When he's basically if not the best, the second best guard in all of football based on his performance and his statistics and his accolades. But he's like, hey, I'm not reporting to training camp. I want a new deal. And I know, as I said in the open, this is a sticking point for a lot of people because the people that don't understand will say, hey, you signed a contract, honor it. And that's very easy to say on the surface. It is very easy to say on the surface, but times change. Yes, when he signed that contract, he signed it because at that time, the going rate was this. Well, times change. The going rate is now higher in the NFL. So, why shouldn't the best offensive lineman, the best guard in the league, second best maybe, be able to say, hey, this is my value? I know I signed a deal whenever it was, three, four years ago. But More money has come into the league. The owners have more money. Everybody's making more money. The salary cap has gone up. I want to be compensated for it. Because then if you're just like, no, every time you sign a contract, you have to stick to it. You signed a seven-year deal, you cannot touch that contract for another seven years. I know some people are just like, Steve, that's the whole point of a contract. Well, not, not when it comes to sports. Not when it comes to being in a job where on any given play, your career could end like that. If you sign a contract at work and you work in an office in a cubicle, yes, probably need to honor that. This is a completely different animal. I'm sorry. Because more money is coming into the league. Salary caps go up so they can't afford to play pay players more. Performance matters. And here's the biggest thing. And this also goes to the running backs who are complaining. Here's the biggest thing. Anywhere down the line, while these owners and these coaches run you into the ground and say you're the best and you're the greatest, the second they can save a quick buck, your ass is either asked to take a pay cut or they cut you. If you're too much against the cap, well, we're just going to let you go. Especially in the sport of football, because the shelf life of football players is like three or three and a half years. Of everybody that's ever come into and made a team, Yeah, if you average it out, it's like three or three and a half years. These guys need to get paid as early as possible because not a lot of second contracts and third contracts like baseball and NBA stuff just doesn't happen that way in football. And obviously football, between all the major sports, is the one where you have way more season-ending injuries and possibly career-ending injuries. So, yeah, you got to get your money when you can. And, yes, you'd be like, well, Steve, Zach Martin's a millionaire already. He already has a big deal. Yes, I understand that. But he's also the best guard in the league, and now he's being paid as the seventh best one because times change. So I don't know if the Cowboys are going to appease him. They're certainly not going to cut him. But, again, is Zach Martin doing this just as a ploy to avoid training camp? it's possible. And then he might just say, "You know what? You know, beginning of September," be like, "Okay, I'm back." And we could probably you look back on it and be like, "Yeah, he just wanted to get out of training camp." So, uh, but for people who say, "Hey, you sign a contract, honor it." I'd say, "Yes, in everyday life, if your job is manager at Applebee's or whatever and you or you work in a cubicle, sure." This isn't that. This is a completely different. Your life is on the line. And your career is on the line every time the ball is snapped on any given play in the NFL. We all know this. It's a violent, violent sport. Your career could be over. Your season could be over. And NFL contracts are not guaranteed. NBA player signs a four-year, $200 million contract. They're getting that no matter what. Baseball player signs an eight-year, $400 million contract. They're getting that no matter what. NFL players do not have guaranteed contracts. They have guaranteed money which is in their signing bonuses. That's why all of them are like, "Look, I don't care about my annual salary. I just want as much money as I can up front because that's the only guaranteed money in NFL work or in the NFL world." Just so keep that in mind. So, we've talked the last couple of days and I didn't do my homework. I apologize. Remember, I said I was going to go back through the last 14 years and go over that statistic of who was the team's leading rusher that won the Super Bowl, Uh, the year they won the Super Bowl, for the last 14 years, who was the team's leading rusher for that season? We all know that the team's leading rusher in the Super Bowl game was all those names I've listed the last couple days, and none of them made more than $2.5 million. Well, this stat shouldn't surprise anybody, but if you take every Super Bowl winner from 2023 all the way back to 1999, which is the last 24 Super Bowl winners, none of them, none of the last 24 Super Bowl winners had the leading rusher in the league on their team. So think about that. Having the leading rusher in the league has not guaranteed anybody a title in 24 years. So again, <laughs> that hurts Josh Jacobs' case. Josh Jacobs can go to them and said, I led the league in rushing last year. I had over 2,000 yards from the line of scrimmage, and the Raiders can come back and be like, yeah, great. Do you know that no Super Bowl-winning team has ever had the leading rusher in the league on their team that year for the last 24 years? I mean, here's the last 24 rushing champions. Josh Jacobs, uh, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry, Zeke Elliott, Kareem Hunt, Zeke Elliott, Adrian Peterson, DeMarco Murray, LaShawn McCoy, Adrian Peterson, Maurice Jones-Drew, Arian Foster, Chris Johnson, Adrian Peterson, LaDainian Tomlinson, LaDainian Tomlinson, Sean Alexander, Curtis Martin, Jamal Lewis, Ricky Williams, Priest Holmes, Edger and James, Edger and James. Oh, and um, Terrell Davis, 1998. They didn't win it that year. So, yeah. <laughs> it's. It, I, I mean, again, statistics bear it out. What are these running backs going to do? the teams do have a the teams do have an argument so the players also have an argument as i'm one of the best at my position in the league why am i not being paid like it fair and the owners can come back and say cuz it's my team and i can choose to pay who i want what i want And smart owners and smart GMs are just not doling out for running backs anymore. But that's a crazy statistic, isn't it? 24 consecutive Super Bowl winners, none of them had the league's leading rusher that year on their team. Hmm. Hell, just looking at that list, I I don't think any of these guys have even won a ring. Maurice Jones-Drew, no. Arian Foster, no. Chris Johnson, no. Peterson, no. LaDainian, no. Sean Alexander did win a ring, but not the year he won the rushing title. Jamal Lewis did win a ring, but not the year he won the rushing title. Terrell Davis won a ring, not the year he won the rushing title. So only three of those running backs are even Super Bowl champions. Period. But yeah, the last... Gosh... Fifteen? Because Sean Alexander, Jamal Lewis, Terrell Davis, that's from 2005 and earlier. So just the last 17 years hasn't had one. That's even won a ring. Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, Zeke Elliott, Kareem Hunt, Adrian Peterson, DeMarco Murray, LaShawn McCoy, Maurice Jones-Drew, Arian Foster, Chris Johnson, LaDainian Tomlinson. No, none of them won a ring. Flipping around last night, ESPN2 was showing the semifinal game on new year's eve it was in the sugar bowl i believe which was ohio state against georgia and remember ohio state made it in as the four seed in the 14 playoff even after losing to michigan in the last game we ever saw them play it was the first time two big 10 teams had ever made the college football playoff georgia was the one seed um ohio state was the four And the two and three were TCU-Michigan. I can't remember if, yeah, Michigan was two, TCU was three. So Michigan played TCU. Georgia played Ohio State. Remember, Georgia plays Ohio State, and everybody thought, like even though we knew Ohio State was good, they had just lost to Michigan for the second year in a row, gave up a shit ton of points, gave up a shit ton of yards, and you're like, holy shit, what is Georgia going to do to them? Ohio State had a month to prepare, and they should have won that game. They outplayed Georgia for, for a majority of the game. And if this guy doesn't miss a 43-yard field goal as time expired, Ohio State gets to the national championship last year. Do y'all forget Georgia beat Ohio State by one on a 43-yard missed field goal as time expired? 42-41. Ohio State ran up and down the field on them. C.J. Stroud threw for 348 yards and four touchdowns and no picks against that vaunted Georgia defense. Emeka Egbuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. both had over 100 yards receiving, three touchdowns between them. Ohio State did whatever they wanted that game. I know you probably don't remember it because it was seven months ago, six months ago, but they did. And here's the thing that I, when I was thinking about it, not only did Ohio State come that close to getting to the national championship game, seeing what Georgia did to TCU in the national championship game, 62-7, to seven, Ohio State would have done the same thing. And that's the crazy part is – and, I, and I'm the biggest, I was just as guilty as anybody else because I bet TCU in the championship game thinking, oh my God, Georgia looked terrible in the semifinals. But I literally went against everything that I've ever preached to you guys is you can't judge everything by just the game you saw. The game, The last game you saw a team play, you can't say that's going to carry over to the next game. There's so many other factors. And I did. And I bet TCU... And they got their doors blown off, and it wasn't even close. And if you listened to Jordan Rodgers when he was on the podcast a couple Fridays ago, he said it. He said, Steve, I was down on the field. And, you know, I don't want to say this after the fact, pat myself on the back, but watching them warm up, it was men versus boys. You look at Georgia's team, you looked at TCU's team, TCU just didn't have the manpower to even stay on the field with that team. He goes, I didn't think it would be 62-7. But just looking at them warming up, you could see the difference between an SEC team and that particular Big 12 team, TCU, that never had a chance. They could play Georgia 10 times, and Georgia would have beat them 10 times. Maybe not 62-7 all 10 times, but TCU just didn't have the guys in the trenches that match up with an SEC school like Georgia. And Ohio State would have done the same thing to TCU. So that's the crazy part in thinking of it is, number one, I got suckered in and I bought into the TCU hype. And trust me, a part of me, the fact that I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, that also played a role too. I wanted to see TCU win. I like the underdog stories. I think if you've listened to this podcast enough, you're well aware of that by now. I just like good stories. And TCU winning a football national championship by beating Michigan and Georgia, would have just been, I mean, out of fucking nowhere and would have been a great sports story to the point where they would have made a movie out of that years from now. It was that unexpected. So, with that said, it is amazing to think, looking back on the college football season last year, holy shit, our national championship game was 62-7 to and TCU didn't have a prayer. Crazy, crazy to think that, watching that Georgia-Ohio State game last year, which is probably one of the top three games in college football in all of last year. Watching that second half last night, I was like, oh, my God, this game is good. These are two – and that field was littered with players that are now in the NFL and players that will be in the NFL. Emeka Egbuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. are probably both going in the top ten in next year's draft. Because they are awesome. And Ohio State, I don't know how good their defense is. I don't know how many guys they lost off their defense. And they certainly lose C.J. Shroud. Not sure who their quarterback is going to be. But all that quarterback needs to do is literally not screw it up. And I think Ohio State is right there competing again uh, for a national championship and getting into the playoff again. Because they are loaded. They have the best offensive unit skill player unit in all of the land best receivers and best running backs so they just need a quarterback to not screw it up and i think they can get that and finally it was shown last night the story broke fairly late well in the evening kevin maxson is an associate strength coach with the jacksonville jaguars and he came out to out sports as openly gay And right now, he's believed to be the first ever publicly out male coach in major American men's pro sports. So they're basically talking baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. Look, we all know he's not the only one. He's just the only one to publicly come out while he's still coaching. Hopefully, him coming out and telling his story will give others the courage to. everyone will do it on their own time. We know this. but hopefully something like this will lead to more because of all the coaches in the NFL on the sidelines there, all the coaches the NBA teams seem to have 10 assistant coaches, baseball, hockey. I'm guessing Kevin Maxson is not the only one. and he's not and he's a strength coach. I'm talking about like someone's lead assistant, I'm guessing, is is gay, but they just don't want to come out. And it's understandable because it's still not, I mean, it, it's more acceptable now than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, for sure. But it's still not, you know how I know it's still not? Because Kevin Maxson's the first one to do it the first coach in any major sport who has come out publicly as gay. And I'm guessing he's not the only one that is gay. So I'm glad he told his story. And he basically just said, look, I was tired of listening to my fellow coaches talk about their significant others. And I had to keep my mouth shut. It just, just didn't feel right. And um, he said, his journey has been a long one, um, but people around him supported him. And, He said he wasn't until recently that he realized he had the right and responsibility to love and be loved and that maybe sharing this will hopefully give someone else the strength to accept their own life and take control of their own story. That's what I mean. Like, I'm glad he did this because somebody will read the story and somebody will, I mean, this is going to uh, be in the news for a few days. There is some coach that will probably come out as well in the next, I don't know, no, not tomorrow, not next week. But the fact that one has, I think will open the doors. And you'll hear more about um, gay coaches in the NFL, in Major League Baseball, in the NBA. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow an Apple podcast. Also, rate and review if you can. Tell your friends about the podcast. It always helps. Also, have a great weekend. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.